Hello and welcome to the Tea on Sustainable Living podcast, where your hosts, Hannah and Brandy, try and help each other navigate the big, messy, gray area of giving a shit about the planet, and hopefully helping you along the way. Each episode, we have honest chats about our sustainability fails, sometimes amongst ourselves and sometimes with guests, while also leaving you with a little sprinkle of hope and inspiration to keep on giving a shit. So, go make yourself a cup of tea, get comfy, and let's dive into the episode. Hello, give a shitters. This is Brandy. And Kelly. And you are listening to episode number nine of the Tea on Sustainable Living podcast. So, today, give a shitters, have a special episode for you with probably our biggest fan, Kelly, my friend from nursing school, since nursing school. She always sends us, sends me voice notes right after like an episode has gone live, like letting me know her thoughts, which in the future, I think I will figure out a way to accept other voice notes and like maybe feature them in like future episodes. Um, I think that would be really cool to like have it on a podcast and like have other people send voice notes. Um, uh, Sadly, Hannah is not with us today. She's moving house and it's been so hard schedule wise to get the three of us and with the different time zones um, on Zoom. And I woke up, sent Kelly or responded to a message from Kelly. And then all of a sudden it was, hey, want to record a podcast? So here we are impromptu. And maybe in the future we can get you back uh, when Hannah is on. And yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So yeah, today we'll talk about our sustainability struggles like we usually do. Our original idea was to have some sort of episode centered on motherhood and sustainability because I'm not a mom. Hannah's not a mom. Kelly is a mom. So we thought that would be a cool like dynamic to have on, which we'll touch on, but that's not necessarily the central theme of the episode. And because it's so impromptu, sadly no tea time today. I'm drinking coffee and you're drinking something. Coffee. Yeah. It's another coffee episode. So apologies, give a shitters. We'll have a tea time in the next one, hopefully. So <laughs> depends on the time of the morning. Yeah, that's true. Time of the day. Um so seeing as how this is impromptu, Kelly is actually at work. She is a well, I'll let you take it over. Tell tell the listeners a little bit about you and yeah, the main thing that you wanted to talk about today. Hello. So I'm Kelly Pusillo. I live um just outside of Philadelphia, where very close to where I met Brandy. And I work in inner city Philadelphia at a children's hospital, which I love so much. But we had initially like talked a lot about how being a mom kind of changes your like your thoughts on sustainability and you know, trying to protect the planet for your kids and how to be sustainable as mom. But then I was also thinking this morning about how terrible my job is for the environment because I specifically am a nurse in anesthesia. So we were um, talking about that. And I, Kelly and I met in nursing school, so I was a nurse for a few years. And I think we touched on it and Hannah and I touched on it in the plastic episode that the waste that comes with. Uh, working in healthcare and especially with the pandemic and more disposable personal protective equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And it was like a maybe a, a brief chat about how, yeah, maybe that's not the area we should focus on. Obviously, health is important. But Kelly brought up a good point that I hadn't thought about of another very unsustainable aspect of healthcare. So I am a CRNA, so a certified nurse register or certified registered nurse anesthetist. And so basically like, it's not a thing in like all across Europe, um, in some places it is, but essentially here an anesthesiologist will oversee 
three or four CRNAs. So I work inside of the operating room doing all the things with the patients. And then an anesthesiologist is there kind of in a more managerial role. Um, we talk about it a lot. We have an anesthesiologist who, um, is like very involved in sustainability and the, and she just like loves all things environment and like researches it and is really good about all that stuff. And we talk about it a lot that like, we generally work with four different anesthesia gases and in our role in anesthesia, we obviously have to keep people asleep because that's like the primary goal. Um, so we do that with one of these four anesthesia gases. However, the way that our equipment is set up is to get the gases out of the operating room because obviously we don't want to make the staff um, fall asleep too. Yeah, that so would be the bad. Way that, that, that would be really bad. So the way that um, we do it is there's like a vacuum essentially on the back of the anesthesia machine that brings it to a pipe that allows the anesthesia gas to exit through a pipe in the roof of hospitals. And so the gases just like go into the environment. And so in places like Philadelphia, where there's a hospital, like every four feet, apparently our ozone layer, like is being like wildly affected by the fact that there's so many functioning operating rooms and all of this gas just it just gets disposed of in a way that's like, we got to make the hospital and the operating room safe. Mm. It doesn't get disposed of in a way that's like, we got to make sure the air in the atmosphere for is everybody safe. else living in. Yes. <laughs> and so that's how all hospitals function like across the world is like, they just have pipes on the top of their roofs that allow these vapors into the atmosphere. And it kind of wasn't that huge of a big deal until one of the anesthesia companies uh, made this one called Desflurane. It is honestly like a miracle anesthesia guest. Like it's so fun to work with because it keeps the patient really asleep very well with very minimal use of gas. Like it doesn't use a lot. And then as soon as you turn it off, the patient is able to breathe it off very quickly like most anesthesia gases re-metabolize into like your fat and your muscles. So it takes a long time to breathe it off. And depending on like how musculature or how much adipose tissue you have, it could stick around for hours, which isn't good for the person. So this desflurane medication, like anesthetic gas is fantastic for the patient. However, it's apparently extraordinarily detrimental to the environment. Like it's not good for the environment. And there's all this talk that we have to recreate how we're disposing of anesthetic gases because it's like really thinning the ozone layer. Oh, wow. That when you're talking, that made me think of methane, how everyone's talk talks about carbon dioxide, then methane is so much more potent. And I don't think it, it sticks around as long, but it's with the amount of, you know, factory farms, we have the amount of cows that we've that we've yes. um, brought into existence for our purposes. Um, it's so much more, yeah. po more potent and damaging. So that's how, and it kind of seems again, like I haven't personally done the research, but this anesthesiologist who's extremely knowledgeable, like she grew, was born in Iran, lived in Sweden, which I feel like she learned all about being sustainable in Sweden because, you know, 
Europeans seem to care more than Americans do. And then she moved to California, which is like, I feel like the most sustainable of all the states. Um, So she just has this not East Coast mindset about her. So she has actually kind of taught me to only use desflurane with patients that it would like, you know, like with morbidly obese patients where you really don't want your anesthesia gas to re-metabolize through all of their adipose tissue because that could genuinely be unsafe for the patient. So we really like, it's kind of a push in our department to not use DES as much as would be safe for the patient. Cause when I tell you, like, it really does cut down operating room times, which if you work in a, in a hospital, hospitals are businesses. And although we're like doing like good for the community, it's still at the end of the day business. And so time in the operating room is like a thing that's talked about a lot. Like every minute you spend in the operating room, the patient spends in an operating room is like hundreds of dollars and they want to cut costs in every way possible. They being like the administrators who don't do medicine, but control medicine. Um, they always want to cut operating room time. So things like desflurane are pushed a lot because they cut operating room time. So our kind of push um, with this one, Nancy's artist who's educating us all has been to like, do what is safe for our patient. Obviously patient takes priority, but then be very aware of like what our impact is in a place like Philadelphia that has dozens of hospitals and probably hundreds of desflurane vaporizers. And so we try to like kind of balance it. I know I've stopped using it nearly as much as I used to. Just oh, because great. I, she told me all these <laughs> I know. It's like when you hear something and then it's like, then that voice is in the back of your head the next time you go to do it and you're like, oh, oh, maybe I should do it a little differently now. But I'm really interested not. in um, what like the stats would be if there are stats um, on that. If I'll do a brief research. I'm not going to try to write like a scientific research paper on it, but I'll see what I can find in like a quick Google search and include in the show notes um, just for a reference for people who are completely unfamiliar with what we're talking about. Oh, there's a lot. Okay, good. There's, yeah, if you find yeah, any good links, send them articles. to me. Um, apparently, desflurane has a 10-year lifetime atmosphere compared to isoflurane, which is a different one, that is 3.6 years. And then sevaflurane, which is the one we use, like the most frequent, that has 1.2 years lifetime in the environment. Okay, so, so this, des, this your favorite drug uh, sticks around a bit longer. Like over three times as much yeah. as the other ones. Oh, that's interesting. So, it's super bad for the environment, like really bad for the environment. Wonderful for patients, really bad for the environment, which I feel like is the theme in hospitals. I feel like even a broader theme of like balancing what, whether it's good for people and bad for the environment or, no, that's not what I want to say, whether it's improves people's lives, convenience versus the effect on the environment. Like there's always like a balance. Yes. And I also like, we recently switched to, they're called blades. They're not actually blades, but we use this, this tool that helps us intubate people. It's like a big tool with a flashlight on the tip of it. And we just switched to disposable ones, which kind of put like a wave of, first of all, we are healthcare providers. We are all type A human beings (laughs) and we do not like change. So that's like really number one. So if you change any equipment on any of us type A (laughs) personalities, like there's always a wave of issues. I feel like especially with surgeons. 
oh, surgeons, anesthesia providers. Oh, my land. We are like <laughs> not good. <laughs> we are not going to change. So like that is a personality flaw that like I can see in myself. But it was funny because a whole bunch of anesthesiologists who like, no offense, but just don't really have like an inside scoop on how their brain works, kind of took this stance. Now they've never taken this stance ever before in their whole lives, but they took the stance of like, these are really bad for the environment. You just use them once and throw them away. And I was like, you've never, you have never spoken about the environment. You eat lunch on the cafeteria every single day on styrofoam plates with plastic forks. Like I've never heard. And like how many gloves have they gone through? And Oh, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't, you don't actually care about the environment. You just don't (laughs) like that your tools were changed, but they do make a good point that like these tools, which we used to have metal ones with metal handles that used to get reprocessed and sterilized and repackaged and given back to us have now been replaced with disposable ones. So one-time use and you throw it away, which on one hand, I'm like, like if you talk to people who worked in healthcare, like 50 years ago, like they used to reuse masks. They used to reuse like nasal cannulas. They used to like clean and reuse almost every single solitary thing that we now would frequently throw away. Like I could never imagine taking like an oxygen device that goes over somebody's face, Mm -hmm. cleaning it and putting it on another individual's face. Mm -hmm. But it was like common practice back then. I wonder, did it change because of convenience or like research that it wasn't like the most clean? Well, so that's why like, I don't know. My thought process is, is that like, I presume that it's because it couldn't have been clean. Like you're sticking things on people who are in the hospital's face. They're not in the hospital because they're healthy and well. And then you're like, who knows who's cleaning it? Who knows how long Mm -hmm. that they get cleaned for? Was there a specific protocol for how they get cleaned? Well, because Because there are still things that are like cleaned. When I say clean, I mean like sterilized because sterile and clean are not the same thing in healthcare. So if there are certain things that are properly sterilized, they're still used like scalp, like, I don't know, like scalpels, scalpels right? and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wonder like metal what the difference stuff, is. Material, metal yeah. Stuff can easily be sterilized and reused. But I'm talking they used to reuse like plastic and rubber mm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That Which I don't good know. Plastic is yeah. porous unless I'm mistaken. Like, yeah, like plastic cutting more. They say don't put certain things on there because it'll absorb and that's not. Yeah. It's not very safe. Interesting. And yeah, I also I th- think it must have been that it was getting dangerous or like it was unsafe for people because there's mm-hmm. no way hospitals would spend more money on stuff. That's like true. you have to buy more of disposable things and just like baseline hospitals don't want to buy yeah. more things. Yeah. But I also wonder what like the process involved in like cleaning and sterilizing is like the resources involved in that. Like how, how is, yeah. how is that compared to like getting, getting new stuff, but especially today with like plastic being so cheap. Um, it makes sense. Yeah. The convenience would also play a role in it, but yeah, like I'm, I'm all for it. If there's, if it's like safer, cleaner, yes, go for it. Buy the disposables if it improves patient, um, patients' well being. Yeah, like even as far as syringes for medications, like there's a big like one syringe one patient campaign that's been going on for the last ten years oh, because it was before the 1980s. This one I do actually know like what the history of it is. Before the 1980s. 
it was not unusual for a nurse or doctor to use the same syringe over and over and over again, thinking if they changed, changed the needle hub, Mm. then they weren't transmitting anything. So they would use like the same syringe for the same medication on different patients. And then like HIV broke out in the eighties and we know how that was handled really (laughs) poorly. But one of the things that was looked at was like how healthcare providers are healthcare providers were a big part of transmission of HIV and hepatitis because of how they were reusing materials. Mm. And one of the materials that they kind of pinpoint was the reusing of syringes. So Mm. now it's one syringe, one patient gone, which like we graduated nursing school in 2011. So to me, I'm like, ew, why would you imagine (laughs) you're standing in a clinic and somebody gets a flu shot next to you and they like take off the needle and then come at you with this. Like you would freak out in the 21st century. You'd be like, get away from me. You're disgusting. Oh, I think I told you my experience getting the um, COVID vaccine in Spain. I went to get it and they didn't like clean my arm with an alcohol swab first before injecting it. And it (gasps) exactly. And I remember (laughs) I left thinking, okay, well, next time I'm going to bring my own alcohol swab and just clean my arm really quick. (laughs) Because in the, I mean, in, in the States and nursing school and working in hospitals, like you, you don't like break the patient's skin without you know, sterilizing it first, cleaning it like with an alcohol swab or other material or other, um, oh my God, or something else. Or hexane wipes, something. Depending on what you're doing. And then I thought more about it and was like, well, why do we do that? Like, is there, I mean, in nursing, they talk a lot about evidence-based practice, but I feel like sometimes that's not always the case. Sometimes it's like, well, why do we do things? Like, for example, tangent, laying, turning off a patient's tube feed before laying them flat, before boosting them up in bed two yes. seconds before you lay them flat. The idea is that they're, that they're what's in their stomach will come back up and they'll, it'll go down their, um, but they didn't digest it that fast. Exactly. You would have to pause it 30 minutes ahead of time anyway. Yes. So I thought more about this alcohol swab thing. I was like, well, maybe it's like not really a thing. Cause like the needle's so tiny. So what are the odds of you? Like it, like pushing some path that bad pathogen into your, like into the bloodstream? Like, I don't know. Well, and also I feel like the only time that it would be so staff lives on your skin, but we literally eat staff. We, it's like, we have to be, our bodies have to be comfortable with staff, right? Like, because it lives all over the surface of our skin. So if you were to like accidentally give like an intravascular, like inject a vaccine into your blood vessels, which would also not be great, but like, Maybe I could understand not wanting to have, because th- if you think about it, all alcohol wipes do is clean the surface of staff off of that mm. part of your body. But then you think about, I think about all this, like, I don't know, I could go down this lane. Yeah. And I think when you get an injection, like a COVID vaccine or most vaccines is, is in the muscle. And then how we mm-hmm. were taught in nursing school is to kind of like, you're supposed to like draw back a little bit, make sure you're not accidentally in a bloodstream. Um, I haven't experienced anyone doing that. Um in Spain, no, it's never. just boom, push in. Because I think the odds are so low. So the likelihood so of this low. happening is so low. I wonder if there was a case at some point that it happened. So that like changed the rules for everyone. Meanwhile, in the United States, we uh, alcohol swab before giving an IV to somebody receiving the lethal injection. Because that is how. <laughs> how. Wow. Which just makes me laugh. Oh, I and don't, that, I that don't can, agree that with the lethal whole, injection. Yeah, that can be a whole other thing. But. 
I just think that that's like in a Spain, they're like, yeah, you can get this flu shot without it. And in America, they're like, just going to make sure the guy getting the lethal injection doesn't sue us. <laughs> what, like, what a world we live in. What America's just a weird place. Like, I love it, but America it's a weird, a weird place. place. <laughs> it's it a is. weird place because it's such a massive country, but it's really a collection of 50 small countries. Yes. Oh, yeah. And none of them agree with what it honestly like it's every single one of them has a different personality so yep and we won't get into all the current legislation happening in in several of them um anyway before so, we go off on too much of a tangent is there anything else you wanted to touch on about healthcare anesthesia i don't think just like i find it to be as with the gray area that <laughs> you and you. hannah always talk about <laughs> It's just a constant gray matter in my life, gray area in my life of like, would this patient benefit from this? Or am I doing something more convenient for myself? Or even as far as like, I work with airways and something that like, I think about regularly, I work in a hospital that doesn't have a lot of money. It doesn't have a lot of resources. It's in an underfunded part of the city. So like, just as far as like, saving resources for the environment and saving resources for this community are pretty important parts of my daily setup. But there's some cases where I know the patient's not going to tolerate our medications very well, or like, I know the patient is like super unstable. And so I open up all of my like endotracheal tubes and emergency airway stuff ahead of time, because I want to make sure that I don't waste a second opening a package. Mm. But then afterwards, if I don't, if I use it and it, and it's like, it really did go poorly and I really did need everything that I opened, then I'm like, Oh, well, thank God I was prepared. But if it doesn't go poorly and, and I have all this opened medical equipment, then I always feel so guilty. Mm. I'm like, Oh man. But then I, then I think like if it was my kid under anesthesia, I would mm-hmm. want them to be super prepared because screw the environment. If my kid doesn't survive yeah. this surgery <laughs> and there's the gray spiral <laughs> and there's the gray spiral where I go, like, I don't want the anesthetic to go poorly and us need the emergency mm-hmm. airway equipment, but I do, like, don't want to be not prepared because every second matters when a person is not mm-hmm. tolerating an anesthetic. Yeah, I think that's the key so, component is that it's someone's life and you have a reason for it. You're not just doing it without thought. And I think that's, yes, that is. But it's uh, a struggle throwing away like four endotracheal tubes, yeah. a mask. Like, I'm like, oh, this is so bad. <laughs> How many times would you say out like that you end up like one out of five, one out of 10 that you end up like needing it? I would like, I always open up like four different options for like a neonatal mm. ICU kid. And I would say like 10 to 20% of the time we actually need it because we prepare and I think, our, yeah. and I think even if it's one out of just one, one, just one year. period, just one period, yeah. not out of anything that like, you, yeah, those seconds, one little tiny baby. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. And they have no, it's the, it's, the issue of like, they have no reserve. If you have like a premature one kilo baby, like we just have everything ready because you have no time to 
open supplies or mm-hmm. find supplies. If a one kilo baby starts to like cycle the drain, babies just want to die, which is a good cycle into motherhood. But babies are just like <laughs> equipped to die. I don't know how humankind oh. has really gotten this far, <laughs> but like equipped to die. Um, so yeah, yeah, we just got everything prepared. And then I apologize to the environment and mother nature when I'm throwing it all away at the end because we were really good at our our job. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I wouldn't beat yourself up over that. You're doing it with intention, with the intention of saving, saving a life. Um, and I think that's kind of my conclusion with healthcare in general. If you're, there's like a reason behind it, an intention, which hopefully is, you know, helping people live healthier, longer lives. Um, but I think if you're just doing it for the sake of convenience or if there's no research, there's no thought behind it. Like, I, I think that's the difference. Um, so yeah, healthcare for me, as far as sustainability and like waste, whether it's the medications, the gases, the materials, I'm sure there are ways to improve it, but I don't think that's where, I don't know, that's where the bulk of people's time and energy should necessarily be going yeah. when I think there are other things that are more, um, like rocket the, ships to space. Yes, exactly. So as we're talking and I know you have you do have some more time. I think this would be a great episode to split into two parts. So this is probably where I will start to introduce some music and fade out and conclude this episode. And then we will, yeah, transition into motherhood. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tea on Sustainable Living podcast. If you made it to the end, we can only assume that you've enjoyed this episode. Please consider sharing this with a friend or family member who could use some support on their sustainability journey. And find us on Instagram at the Tea on Sustainable Living and let us know what you liked about the episode. All right, give us shitters. See you later. Get it? See you later? As in, see you later? So fun. Why?